there was a lot of skepticism about whether they would ever see me again, <laughs> whether I was really going to follow through. And I think that that was just something that, that you persevere as a, as a first-time entrepreneur all the time, that you have to just kind of, how do you get people to take you seriously? How do you stand out? And honestly, at the end of the day, it's just perseverance. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we sit down with Debbie Mullen, the CEO and founder of Copper Cow Coffee. Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. I want to start off with just the story of Copper Cow. Can you talk about the origin story of the business? Sure. So there's a couple of things in my life that kind of pushed me in this direction. I think that the first thing is is kind of thinking way back to just growing up in the US as a as the child of a Vietnamese mother and just beginning to to get out into the world and realize that everybody was eating really different food than I was eating growing up and always kind of thinking that I was sitting on a gold mine thinking oh my gosh if everybody could just try Vietnamese cuisine and how amazing it is like we could be rich and I think that that, that dream though didn't really come to fruition for a long time because I did have a lot of aunts and uncles. My, my mom came here as a refugee with her family and they started restaurants and it was such a hard life. And so I think that that adamantly, you know, scared me away from getting into the food industry and simultaneously going back to Vietnam to visit where my mom was from really impacted my career and that I knew I wanted to do something around supporting the country and the region to have more equitable economic opportunities there so that people like my mom didn't feel like they had had to leave to be able to have opportunities and to have a successful life there. So I actually first had a career over at the World Bank, studied economics, and just really found it to be not a great path for me, especially it was so bureaucratic and so slow. So I think that that kind of began to bubble up this entrepreneurial spirit and kind of drive that I was really suppressing. And when I began to kind of visit where the food industry was in the CPG business model, it just got really exciting, particularly when I started to look at the Vietnamese coffee market, realizing it's you know, the second largest coffee producer in the world. And so this traditional Vietnamese coffee experience that I had grown up, you know, enjoying was beginning to evolve in the country as well as it developed and, and just the timing made so much sense. And, and so being able to take a modern, do a modern, you know, California version of the Vietnamese coffee that, that resonated with this third wave coffee movement that I was living in just seemed like a, a great opportunity. And that's how Copper Cow Coffee was born. And if somebody's not familiar with Vietnamese coffee, how do you uh, distinguish what makes it unique? Great question. So we there's a number of ways that you can define Vietnamese coffee. We definitely define it as coffee that was grown in Vietnam. And what's unique about Vietnamese coffee is definitely the varietals that are grown there. But everything matters with coffee, the way this, that it's predominantly volcanic soil that it's grown in. There's a lot of things that make it unique. But what it yields is this really unique kind of nutty mocha undertoned coffee. It's, it's typically dark roasted. And I think that that's really what's so incredible about it. But if you think about some things that other people associate it with, it's also a dark roast It's a because of the French influence. And then also that it's served with sweetened condensed milk, which is also how we sell it. 
And so when you decide to launch this business, what was that original go-to-market strategy that you had to bring Vietnamese coffee to a wider audience? So my original go-to-market strategy was actually to do a ready-to-drink cold brew Vietnamese coffee. So this was, oh my gosh, this was like when I started to really begin to dabble into this, it was about seven years ago. And so I was, I was simultaneously looking at sourcing this Vietnamese coffee, but then also trying to figure out how can I manufacture it? And at the time, you know, this was seven years ago. So cold brew was just beginning to get really popular. And so the idea of being able to to have a version of that with Vietnamese coffee was so exciting to me, but I learned that it was so hard to manufacture something in a ready to drink format, let alone, you know, actually distribute it. Like I didn't really understand how we were going to make money, especially given the fact that this was my first company and um, the fundraising was such a challenge. You know, how am I going to raise, you know, $20 million to launch something like this versus when I found this pour over format, which our company is now revolved around. The the story is actually that we had gotten a a booth at the fancy food show, which is one of the the largest food um, food trade shows where you meet buyers for stores. Because this was five years ago now. So this was back before Instacart and a lot of um, food was still predominantly bought in stores. And the last version of our prototype for the ready to drink (laughs) failed and we couldn't even bring it to the trade show. But I had a prototype of this pour over that our supplier in Vietnam that I had formed a great relationship with that we still work with today had shown me. And so we kind of tweaked it to exactly how we wanted it to be and and just brought it to the show because we didn't have anything else and just this prepaid booth and and kind of the rest is history. (laughs) So with that journey, where did uh, Whole Foods come into the picture for you? So Whole it was interesting timing because Whole Foods, right when we were launching, was being acquired by Amazon. So it actually took a couple years for us to get into our first regions of Whole Foods. But right before the pandemic, we were really lucky that we got into two regions, both Southern Southern California, as well as the Rocky Mountain area, which is, Whole Foods is divided up into eight regions. Um, and Rocky Mountain is like Idaho, Montana. And so we were really lucky to have had that distribution going into the pandemic. And we were just pretty blown away by how well we performed in there in terms of like a weekly velocity. And so, so with Whole Foods, particularly you, you expect it maybe in Southern California where we're based, where the brand is from, but to see that kind of velocity up in the Rocky Mountain area was really exciting. And, and so shortly after that Whole Foods Global, which means all of the stores approached us and, and we're, we've, we've shipped out all the POs and we're going to be on shelf next month for in October with all, with, um, in all Whole Foods, which we're really excited about. Oh, congratulations. It's amazing. Why, you know, with that in mind, what do you think really makes Copper Cow kind of stand out and defy those regional bounds of coffee that sometimes exist? Great question. Cause I think it was, it was really interesting when we began to look at national data on, on, on coffee grocery sales and that that there are so few nationally distributed coffee companies. And I think that it transcends in a couple ways. One being that typically when you discover coffee, it's going to be in a cafe first, especially specialty coffee products. And so to have a cafe centric experience, that's going to be fairly regional. You know, if you're in LA, it's Groundworks and 
the Bay Area, it's Blue Bottle. And you're going to, that brand is going to be so strong there because of the cafe pull and um, kind of brand ambassadorship that that brings. We're, we're a digitally native company. And I think that that, and, and additionally, you know, this, this really authentic story around how we've created the product and the taste profile around Vietnamese coffee, I think really, really resonates with people. And I think that it's been just really exciting to see kind of like that we are, we don't do better on the coast. We don't do better, you know, in a specific state, that this is something that translates to everybody wanting to have an at-home cafe experience. With that in mind, you mentioned that experiential is generally so important for coffee because of the sensorial and everything else that goes into it. So how do you bring that to life as a digitally native brand? Oh my gosh. I mean, I feel like we are just every day trying to iterate on how to visually communicate what our product is and, and how it tastes and what it's like to make it. I mean, I, we've, we've spent so much time because it is a totally new format. And I think that that investment is just ongoing about how can you communicate what it's like to make this coffee. And I think that's, that's the, one of the number one feedbacks we get from people when they try it is, is like, I'm so surprised by how much I enjoyed making it. And so I think being able to communicate that through video is so powerful compared to, you know, trying to sell something in a store where you just have a few sides of a box. And so the digital presence has been just so huge for us for, for a new format like this. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So when you look back at the the journey, you know, as you mentioned, it's been seven, eight years that you've been working since the cold brew days. What's one of those things you wish you'd known earlier in the journey? I mean, so many things. I still feel like I'm like, oh my gosh, if I had known this, like, I think that that, that if I had only known sentiment never ends. I mean, I think that the one thing that I always come back to is just wishing that I had often chosen to do things with a little bit more confidence that everything was going to work out, you know, bootstrapping a business for years and, you know, sitting there and looking at your bank account and figure trying to figure out how you're going to get something done is scarring in a way where it's just really hard to feel like, okay, like this is going to work out and I'm going to commit and I'm going to, you know, to just bet on myself and bet on this idea, I think is something that I wish I, I leaned into more in the earlier days. I think that obviously it's, it's easier now for me to do it. I think it's just that now it's a different version of that because the stakes are higher, but just, just realizing that, that you could have saved, I could have saved myself a lot of heartache and a lot of stress if I had just been a little bit more cognizant that, that things are going to be okay. So I want to go back to those uh, beginning uh, kind of days again. That you you mentioned that you were originally working on a cold brew, and it was actually one of your suppliers in Vietnam that gave you the form factor that's become the business today. How did you even build out that supply chain in those early days? What were those connections that you turned to in Vietnam? 
Well, through my old career, I had a pretty good network in Vietnam through people who were working primarily kind of in the the World Bank NGO space. And so when I when I I just started to reach out to literally anybody I knew who I knew was working or had worked in Vietnam and asked, "Do you know of anybody who works in the coffee space?" And I just um the first time I remember I went I traveled, my family was going for for a reunion and I decided to just tag along and be able to kind of go through this list and just ride around Vietnam for three weeks and just talk to anybody who was in the coffee industry. And it was really interesting to see kind of how the landscape was changing and how really amazing coffee was coming online. And it was, I think I tried 40 different coffee suppliers on that first trip. I remember there were times where I would just have to like go home and lie down because I didn't learn. I drank every coffee someone served me because it was so delicious. And I just eventually just was learning that I that I needed to control my caffeine and take in order to be able to run and launch this business. Um, but it was it was just crazy. It was like showing up to farms, showing up to roasting factories, showing up to to all types of meetings until I was able to kind of find people that I felt like we're on the same page about what what we were trying to bring to market. And, you know, when you had those conversations with all those suppliers, we often think about what the U.S. market thinks about a product. But what did those suppliers think about the coffee market globally? I think that they were really excited about it. I think that that was one of the reasons why our current supplier, they really had vision about, you know, what I was trying to do and were, were, got on board really quickly. I think that there was a lot of skepticism. I think that in general, when you go and work in the third world or when, and generally when you work in the food industry, it's a, it can be like a pretty flaky industry. So I think that there were a lot of conversations I had with people saying like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, everybody's saying that they're going to bring, you know, specialty Vietnamese coffee to the U S because the U S is the largest specialty coffee market in the world. You know, like, I think that there was a lot of skepticism about whether they would ever see me again, <laughs> whether I was really going to follow through. And I think that that was, um, it's just something that, that you, that you persevere as a, as a first time entrepreneur all the time that you have to just kind of, how do you get people to take you seriously? How do you stand out? You know, and I, and honestly, at the end of the day, it's just perseverance for sure. So once you found those uh, kind of suppliers, what was your next step then? you know, to start bringing the brand to life and bringing the the coffee to market? So there was also the idea of like, okay, what's it going to be named? What's it going to look like? How is it going to be sold? You know, because I think that when I saw the pour over format on, on, it was, it was just sitting on our supplier's desk. And I was like, what is that? I've never seen that before. Um, And they opened it up and said that they had, this, this is actually a technology that's pretty common in Japan. And so they were saying that they were packing this for a Japanese client. And, you know, my, my father had made pour over every day my whole life growing up. And so I was just, I knew exactly what kind of expression it was going to make. And I was so excited because I was having so many problems with the ready to drink because coffee is pretty stable and condensed milk was pretty stable. But when you put them together, it was just a total mess. And so I was like, I can keep it separate. I can just create a creamer packet. And then it was like, okay, so if they're two separate pieces, 
do we sell them together? Do we sell them separately? You know, I think that there was a lot there. And then I think mean in, in tandem, I was introduced to a box supplier that, again, we still use this woman-owned factory in Vietnam. And, um, you know, when I showed her some, some samples of packaging that I had brought from the U.S. and thinking that this would be something that I could make there, it was really exciting to see the brand begin to come to life. You know, you create a logo, you create a name, you decide what's going to be on the front of the box. You decide on brand colors. For us, we had a lot of copper foil embossing on it, which was really exciting. Um, and I think that just beginning to get packaging together, because as much as I, my true love is definitely the product inside and how it's going to taste the packaging is almost more important because if you can't get someone to buy it, how will they ever even know that it tastes good? So I think I've always had a big emphasis on packaging and design as a huge part of how you get a brand off the ground. You know, so many of these suppliers, they've been with you since day one. You know, as you've talked about the box supplier and the, the roaster, how have you made sure that they could grow with you as you got these amazing opportunities with Full Foods nationally and, you know, everything else? That's a great question. I mean, I think that in the beginning, I was just there all the time, you know, because I think it's actually a little bit harder when you're smaller. I think it's kind of the opposite. Once you get bigger, as long as they have capacity, which which we're really lucky that um, the box supplier always did. And then the, the coffee roaster has uh, the coffee um, supplier has grown with us. But when you're really small, you're just trying to get someone to make you 5,000 units, 10,000 units. Like I would have to sometimes just show up and sit there for a week until and be like, is today, are you running my product today? Are you running my product today? <laughs> you know, and making sure that you have to physically make sure it gets on a boat to the US. I think that those were the really, really hard days versus once you're having really large volumes and your significant business to them, it's actually a lot easier Honestly, I, I think I really feel for for entrepreneurs who are trying to launch a physical product business in COVID because, you know, I haven't been able to go to Vietnam since January 2020. And that's a really, really hard reality for us. We had lots of plans for something we were going to, to do um, that were about innovative product development and, and all that just has had to be on hold because we can't go there. So I think that it's for, for me, that's, that's been the current issue, but I would say that what's now just now we're beginning to feel like we're outgrowing our current supply chain. So, so what does that mean? And, and what opportunities does that open up? You know, as, as we think about how we want to influence the, the Vietnamese coffee market. So on that note of those kind of that Vietnamese coffee market, what's been the ripple effect on all of the farmers that you've worked on or with for the, the past few years? So what's been so great about our supplier is that from from day one they've been they've really really invested a ton into the co-op where they get coffee from and that's required you know so much training on undoing you know decades of degradation into the Vietnamese coffee market so so while Vietnam is the the second largest coffee producer in the world from the communist era, you know, you got one price for coffee, no matter what. And so it just really led to just a lack of quality. Honestly, most of it was just being made into, into instant coffee. People didn't care really when they picked the cherries, you know, you need to pick a cherry when it's red, when it's nice and, and sweet and, and it gives tons of flavor to the bean. There's all these things that, that just began to fall to the wayside if it didn't really matter when you like how good your co your coffee was and as as that market has developed 
to be a, a driver of that has been has been really exciting. And I think the other thing is that we're in the process of being fair trade certified. We're in the process of trying to become the first organic certified coffee com- Vietnamese coffee company out there. And it is a big steep learning curve for them to understand what that means and why our consumer cares about it. Because um, I know that that Asia will be a fast follow, and that is where their markets are going as well in terms of consumer behavior. But it, it is it is definitely influencing how this how this co-op is run and how Vietnamese farmers are thinking about how, okay, you're gonna pay me twice market rates to really, you know, to eliminate chemical dumping in my coffee processing for me to pick cherries when they're red and you're gonna come back next year and your order is gonna be bigger. They're gonna be incentivized just so much more. Um, and and you I would say that the coffee quality that I've even seen in the past seven years develop has been really, really incredible. And, and five years from now, I think we're going to be totally on par with any other coffee industry, um, coffee region in the world. So you mentioned here in October, you're launching nationwide with Whole Foods. What else do you have in store as you move into 2022? So something that we're really excited about is the format is so perfect for the flavors that we have today. So we have these flavored coffee concepts. So the individual pour overs will just have natural herbs and spices in them. Like our lavender latte literally just has lavender in the coffee. And it's just so perfect for, you know, you might want not want like a whole pot of lavender coffee, but it's wonderful to have a single serving on that Saturday, Sunday morning. And I think that um, the flavors have been such a big driver of the brand and sales and kind of the experience of Copper Cow just constantly getting to innovate there is really exciting. And I think that um, what we're now testing on the website is that, like I said, we actually sell the creamer with all of our coffees in stores right now. On our website now, we're kind of offering something that's a little bit more customized in terms of an experience that you can just pick whatever flavors you want. You can pick the number of creamers you want, if any, and so that you can have it more day to day. So I think that the treating the website as a product for a customized coffee solution is something that we're really excited to continue to invest in. And we're definitely excited about coming out with new formats. I think that this pour over is a wonderful, amazing expression of Vietnamese coffee, but I think that there's ways that we can make it even more accessible and easier for for a consumer to have um, that same Vietnamese coffee experience. But again, just how can we make it even easier for you to enjoy at home? Well, Debbie, thank you for taking the time to uh, share the journey that you've been on with Copper Cow and can't wait to see what's next for the business. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.